You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. Man, good to be with you. John chapter 15, starting in verse 1, we're going to read through verse 8. John chapter 15, starting in verse 1, we'll read to verse 8. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. We could spend a whole sermon just talking about that reality. Already you were clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. And if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Let's pray together one more time. Father, help us to center ourselves on your word right now. Help us to focus. Arrest our attention. God, these words are active and living. They're as powerful as if you are standing here in the flesh speaking them to us. And so we believe that you are here. And we ask now that you help us to be here with you and that we do not leave here the same as we came in, that we will truly be transformed for our good and your glory. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, in the summer of 2002, I was coaching the Unico Bank Bombers. A 13 and 15, uh, 13 through 15 year old baseball team in actually the Babe Ruth championship game at the Bland Park. It was the last inning. We were the last at bat. Bases were loaded. There were two outs and the game was tied. So one more run and we had the chance to win the game. The problem is, is a boy by the name of Chris who was our ninth place hitter was coming to the plate. Now Chris, and I am not exaggerating, literally did not get a hit all year long. Not one hit. And so, um, keep in mind, by the way, what I'm about to tell you, I was an 18-year-old, highly competitive boy with no relationship with Jesus, okay? So don't hold this against me anymore. I go up to Chris, and I say, Chris, listen, man, the chances of you hitting this pitcher is not great. Um, But here's the good news. If you will let this pitcher hit you, we can win the game. (laughs) Um, And so... He looks at me kind of perplexed, and he goes, you want me to let him hit me with the ball? And I said, that's right, Chris. And uh, he said, well, is it going to hurt? And I said, yeah, it's going to hurt a little bit. And I said, but, but here's the thing. I said, Chris, when you go up to that plate, do not look at yourself as simply a baseball player with a bat, but you've got to look at yourself as a warrior on a battlefield, Chris. I said, you are going to war. I said, you see all these faces of all these kids in the team? You can win the war for them. You can send them home with a victory, Chris. And by this time, the other two coaches, uh, Justin and Drew, came over, and they, they began to feed it. And they're like, yeah, Chris, you're a warrior. You and only you can do this, Chris. And so Chris is looking, and, and he actually begins to get pumped up to the point to where, I'm not kidding, he walks up to the, to the uh, plate. He's sitting there going, Ugh. and he's just kind of hitting his helmet like this. And he walks up. 
And if this is the play, he kind of gets right here. He gets fairly close to it. But first pitch comes by him, does not hit him. So we're over in the dugout. Scoot up closer, Chris. Edge closer to the plate, Chris. You are a warrior. Don't forget. And so he gets a little bit closer. Next pitch comes by. Still doesn't hit him. Chris, lean over the plate, man. Scoot a little bit closer. Third pitch. If I'm lying, I'm dying. God is my witness. Third pitch comes in, drills him right on the elbow. He drops his bat in pain, but then realizes what just happens, raises his fist in the air, and walks down the line. The, the, the runner from third base comes home. The crowd goes crazy, including his parents, who are at every game, never saw Chris get on base until this point. They're up there going, way to go, Chris! Way to go! They're yelling. And by the way, they asked me to coach him the next year, so they were pumped over what happened. They're so excited. And listen, the whole thing unfolded because Chris believed a metaphor. He believed that I'm not just a baseball player with a bat. I am a warrior who has come to win a war. And it changed his life in that moment. And the reason I share that is, listen, metaphors clearly have that kind of power to not just change how we understand something, but literally change the way we live in a moment. And because Jesus knows this is true in John 15, guess what he does? He gives us a metaphor to sum up the Christian life, to sum up who you are. And the metaphor that he gives us, the picture that he paints for us in John 15 is of a vine and some branches. And just in case you have a hard time uh, uh, understanding this image or if you need a visual, I think we can put a picture on the screen. Do we have that of the vine and the branches? Yeah, there it is, okay? And, and I just Googled this online. There's nothing special necessarily about this. You might have been able to find a better graphic than this. But as you can see, you have the roots, and from the roots comes the vine. And then from the vine, you have the branches. Do you understand this? It's pretty simple, right? And then from the branches hangs the fruit. Now, if you get confused about this, and if you're like, hey, am I the branches or am I the vine? Just remember, Jesus is divine. Thank you. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Jesus is divine. Thank you very much. Took me an hour to come up with that this week during sermon prep. And you are the branches, and from the branches comes the fruit. Now, on one hand, this is a beautifully mystical and mind-blowing idea, but on the other hand, it's kind of insulting, isn't it? Because if you think about it, literally what Jesus just said is, look at this tree, which is Robert Pierce's tree for his office, took it from your office, hope you don't mind. It, it literally, Jesus says, hey, I'm like this tree here. He says, I'm the vine, and if you abide in me, he says, this is what your life will look like. It'll be green, it will flourish, it'll have life, it'll look like something that actually could produce fruit. Not only will it look like it can produce fruit, it will produce fruit. And that's amazing, but then here's where it gets insulting. He says, apart from me, this is you. So you have yourself connected to me, and then you just have you all by yourself. He says, you know what you are apart from me? You're a dead twig. You're a dead twig. And you know what you're good for apart from me? He says, literally, to be thrown away and burned. That's kind of insulting. Would you agree? But the beautiful thing about this metaphor is that Jesus goes on and he says this, though you cannot bear fruit, though you cannot have life apart from me, the good news is you don't have to. Because what he says in this metaphor, in the words of Jesus himself, if you will just abide in me and I in you, then, he says, you will bear much fruit. 
Or to translate, what Jesus is saying is, you better understand what union with Christ is all about. You better understand this doctrine. You better understand what it means for you to abide in me and for me to abide in you. Because he says, when this happens, he says, when you abide in me and I in you, then you will gain access to all of the resources that you could possibly need to bear much fruit, to change, to grow, to actually mature into the kind of person that you long to be. Guys, this is a promise from Jesus to you and to me. The question is this morning is, what exactly then does all this mean? What is union with Christ really all about, right? What does it really mean for you to be in Christ and for Christ to be in you? This is a definition that we talked about last week. Literally, union with Christ, it's all it means that you are in Christ and Christ is in you. But now I just want to unpack that for you so you can understand the practical implications that this has on your life. And so to start, what exactly does it mean What does it mean that you are in Christ? Well, if I can just stick with sports for one moment, use one more metaphor from the sports world. Think about if you're watching a baseball game and your favorite team is playing, it's the bottom of the ninth, and your favorite player hits a walk-off home run. He runs around the bases and he comes home and everybody just dogpiles him. When he gets to home plate, they're throwing Gatorade on him, right? Here's the thing. Because of one man's performance, because of the actions of one man, not just does he get the win in that moment, the whole team gets the win. And what's amazing is not just does the team get the win, the fan base gets the win, right? That's why the kid or the guy who's just sitting on his couch eating Doritos can say, we won, we won, right? Despite the fact that he did nothing. I think about this picture of Cubs fans uh, from after the World Series was won. And yes, this is sanctification, Steve. I'm showing a picture of Cubs fans winning the World Series, and I'm not even going to be making fun of them, okay? (laughs) And so here you have, right, somebody waving the W uh, flag, which means we're winners. And literally, look at this guy in the front in the Cubs robe. He literally says, we are losers no more. We have a new identity. We are winners. In the same way that the performance of a baseball player can be credited to an entire fan base, union with Christ tells you that the performance of Jesus can now be credited to you and me. That's what it means to be in Christ. It means that now what is true of Jesus is true of you. His gain is your gain. His win is your win. His victory is your victory. And if that doesn't make sense and if it's still kind of confusing, think about the story of David and Goliath, this really famous Bible story that many of you have heard, and and for many of us it's so familiar, we often overlook one of the strange aspects of the story, and that is, have you ever thought about, why were there only two people that fought that day? Have you ever thought about that? Like, why, there were two armies there, the Philistine army and the Israelite army, they were on a battlefield, so why did only two people fight? Well, in short, it's because Goliath, who represented Israel's enemies, the Philistines, had issued a challenge to Israel to come up with one person who would stand on behalf of Israel and fight for them. And in this challenge, you find it in 1 Samuel 17, 8, and 9. Here's what it says. It says, Goliath stood, and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose then, he says, a man, and have, or choose a man, and have him come down to me, And if he's able to fight and kill me, look at this, then we, the Philistines, will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, then you, Israelites, you will become our subjects. And as you know, as the story goes on, David, who just like Jesus, 
was a young boy from Bethlehem who was a shepherd destined to be a king. Against all odds, and just like with Christ, used an unlikely weapon to eventually defeat Israel's greatest enemy. And in that moment, listen, in that moment, when David defeated Goliath, because David represented Israel, even though Israel was not actively participating in the battle, because they were in David, so to speak, David's victory became their victory. His freedom became their freedom. His kingdom became their kingdom. And listen, in the same way that David represented Israel, the Bible tells us that when you trust in Jesus, he now represents you, and everything that is true of him is true of you if you are in him. In other words, when you are united to Christ, you are united to everything that Jesus has done for you through his life, death, and resurrection. This is why the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 2.20, you have been crucified with Christ. In Romans 6, 4, he says, you've been buried with Christ. In Colossians 3, 1, he says, you've been raised with Christ. In Ephesians 2, 6, it says, you have even been seated with Christ in the heavenly places, even while you're sitting right here in Paragold, Arkansas, with both feet on the ground. In other words, what is true of Jesus is now true of you. And if you're here and you're just like, if you struggle to believe this, welcome to the club. I'm telling you, like, probably 95% of my prayers is just asking God to help me believe that what's true of Jesus is true of me, even if I don't feel like it's true. And if you're here, and that's the both that you're in, I just want to read you Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 14. Just listen to this. You don't have to turn there, but just hear these words read over your life because this is your new identity in Christ. This is who you are if you've trusted in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Paul says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. There it is. This is Paul's favorite phrase. He uses it over 200 times in Scripture. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in Christ. There it is again, before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In Christ we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ. Things in heaven and on earth. In Christ we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen. Did you hear what Paul just said is true of you? In case you missed it, if you are in Christ, he says you are blessed with every spiritual blessing. Because you are in Christ, you are, verse 4, chosen before the creation of the world, holy, blameless, and loved. You are predestined, adopted as sons and daughters. You are in the purpose of God's will. Because you are in Christ, you are to the praise of his glorious grace. He goes on to say in verse 7, because you're in Christ, you're redeemed, you're forgiven, you're rich in God's grace. 
In verse 8, he says, you're wise and understanding. In verse 9, because you're in Christ, you're aware of the mystery of Christ. Once again, he says, you're chosen and predestined. In verse 11 and verse 12, in Christ, once again, you are to the praise of his glory. In verse 13, in Christ, you're included. You're saved. In verse 14, in Christ, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. You're God's own possession. And then in verse 15, he actually goes on and says, in, in, or verse 14, I'm sorry, you are also in line for the inheritance. In case you missed it the first two times, he says again, you are to the praise of his glory. Guys, this is why we say the gospel is so scandalous. You know what a scandal is, right? It's like someone from this side of the tracks falls in love with someone on that side of the tracks. You say, oh, well, that's a scandal, right? Or a politician like rigs a, a, a vote, right? We say, oh, that, that's a scandal, right? You see a white guy in the NBA, that's a scandal, right? It's not supposed to happen. But there is no scandal like the gospel. Because what the gospel tells you is at the core of its message is the reality that at the cross, Jesus was treated the way we deserve to be treated for our sins so that for all eternity, we can be treated the way only he deserves to be treated for his righteousness, That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it's the righteousness, the perfect life of Christ that has now been credited to you. That is why in Hebrews 10.14, the Bible says that when God sees you, when he sees you in Christ, he sees perfection. You know what that means? That means that everything that each and every single one of you desperately want, things like to be known, does anybody know me? Things like to be accepted, to be beautiful. Am I beautiful? Am I beautiful? Things like to be safe and secure and embraced and cherished. Listen, all of those things are yours in Christ Jesus. Some of you, you desperately need to believe this today. Because you know what happens when you don't believe that? You start trying to find all of these things to be known, to be accepted, to be loved, to be beautiful in what I would call counterfeit vines. For some of you, it's possessions. And so you go find a counterfeit vine like this and you say, well, if I can just get more stuff, if I can, if I can get that house, no. If I can get a car, if I can just graft in there then a new, new iPhone, maybe then I, maybe I'll bear fruit. That doesn't work, and so maybe for others say, no, 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 what I need is performance. If I could just perform more, if I could like maybe climb the corporate ladder, okay, if I could maybe just, you know, get more success, if I could, you know, be, man, then I, no, it doesn't work. Or then you go, like, it's not about, it's not for me, it's not about possessions, it's not about performance, it's about popularity. And so you're like, well, maybe I can graft in over here. If I can get more likes on Facebook, if I can somehow just get a pat on the back, if I can get more people to just tell me how awesome I am, then I'll be accepted, then I'll know I'm loved. For others, they say, no, 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 I just need pleasure, man. If I can just get more pleasure, right, if I can graft in here, if I can just get some instant gratification, if I can just get more stuff that just makes me feel good in the moment, then I'll be fulfilled. And this is what you end up with. And you say, what is my problem? The problem is, Jesus says those are counterfeit vines. In verse 1, literally, he says, I'm the true vine. I'm the one that only whenever you graft into me can you find the deep life, the abundant life, the life that you are longing for. And what's incredible, guys, listen, is if you want this life, you know how you get it? You just believe. You open your imagination. You believe that God is who he says he is. He's done everything he says he's done for you in Christ. And you now are who, you say, who he says that you are. That's how you get access to this. That's how you begin to grow. And this is what the Apostle Paul is getting at in Galatians 2.20. 
He says, for I have been crucified with Christ. And he's very much alive, right? He says, I no longer live, but he's still very much alive. I mean, he's writing this. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, look at this, I live by what? By faith in the Son of God, who did what? Who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the key to experiencing this union with Christ. It's not by trying harder to be better. It's not by checking some religious box. It's by placing faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. And now you know what he says is true of you is, in fact, true of you. And if you're here and you're like, man, this is just so hard to believe, Jared. Listen, it is. And you know what? Jesus knew this would be hard for you to believe. Jesus himself knows this is hard for you to believe this today. That's why in John 17, in the longest prayer Jesus ever prayed, he says, Father, I pray that they, that's speaking of you and me, would know that you love them even as you love me. In other words, Father, I pray that one day, that Derek, I pray that, that, that one day, that Mark, I pray that one day, that Bobby, I, I pray they will really begin to believe that what is true of me is now true of them. That's what it means to be in Christ. And that's great news, but it gets even better than that because union with Christ not only tells you that you're in Christ, but it also tells us that Christ is in you. Now the question this morning is, how can someone who walked on the earth thousands of years ago be in you? How's that possible? And in order to really understand this, you have to understand that whenever Jesus here is talking about you abiding in me and me abiding in you and the vine and the branches, he's talking about all of this within the context of John chapter 13 through verse 16. And basically, it's one big meal. They're at a dinner table. And what's just happened is basically, Jesus has just told his disciples, hey, I'm about to leave you. And where I'm going to go, you can't go with me. Now, that would have been very disturbing because keep in mind, these men left everything to follow Jesus. And now they're being told they cannot go with him any further. So Jesus says, where I'm going, you can't go. But then just a couple verses after that, in John 14, 18, he says, but I will not leave you as orphans. Now that's confusing. I mean, which one is it, Jesus? Are you leaving or are you not leaving? Are you staying or are you going? I mean, clearly the disciples would have been confused right here. And then a couple chapters after Jesus says this, in in John 16, 7, Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. So here he is again. Hey, I'm going to leave, and where I'm going, you can't follow. I will not leave you as orphans. Hey, I'm going to go away. I'm going to go away. Jesus, then discerning that the disciples were sad, he says, no, no, don't be sad, because listen, it's actually to your advantage that I go away. Because he says in John 16, 7, If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send the helper to you. Now think about this for a second. Put yourself in the place of the disciples. To our advantage. Wait a minute, Jesus. It's better for us that you go away. What could be better than having Jesus Christ beside you? Well, the answer to that is the only thing better than having Jesus Christ beside you is having Jesus Christ inside of you. 
And that's what Jesus is promising in John chapter 16, verse 7, when he says, when I leave, I'm going to send you my helper. In other words, I'm going to send you my very Holy Spirit, my empowering presence to come and not just be beside you, but to dwell within you so that no matter where you are or what you're going through, you can know that I'm with you every step of the way. If you've ever sat here and envied the disciples and said, boy, man, it sure been nice. I mean, yeah, I would have done what the disciples did too if I could physically see Jesus and have him beside me. No, Jesus said, it's actually better that I left so that now I can be in you through my Holy Spirit. You see, when you understand union with Christ, you understand that you not only now receive a new position and the fact that you have a new identity, you are the beloved son, the beloved daughter of God. But even better than that, not only do you receive a new position before God, you receive a new power from God to live the life that he has called you to live. Because literally, as mysterious as it is, guys, when you trust in Christ, Christ himself, through his spirit, takes residence inside of your body. I love how Sinclair Ferguson put it. He says this, to have the spirit means you have nothing less than the incarnate, obedient, crucified, resurrected, and reigning Christ within you. Do you realize, guys, today, even though, I mean, just... We all look so ordinary, don't we? We're all just paying taxes and trying to knock out things in the to-do list and getting kids up and brushing our teeth. And We have such ordinary lives. It's so easy to forget that the very DNA of Jesus himself right now is coursing through your body. And you know what that means then? If you believe this, what that means for you is there is no wound that you carry that cannot be healed. There is no brokenness so great that it cannot be repaired. There is no mountain so big that it cannot be moved. And there is no habit that you have in your life that is so binding that you cannot be freed from it. So that's union with Christ. That's it. You're in Christ and Christ is in you. That's it. That's the definition. That's all I got for you this morning. Question is, how do you go to lunch after this? Seriously, like, how do you go to lunch after this? Because I, I don't think it's preacher talk or hyperbole for me to say what you just heard really is the most wonderful news you'll ever hear in your entire life. It really is the greatest news you will ever hear. So how do you go to lunch after this? You know, we talked about last week if this is going to move from just being dead information that we yawn at to actually moving into the reality of union with Christ and we experience the benefits from that, you're going to have to open up your imagination like you've never done before. You're going to have to redeem your imagination because the things Jesus says in here, like you are the branches and I'm the vine. That, he goes on to talk about how it's a marriage. You know, I'm the bride, right? I'm the groom, you're the bride. I mean, he'll talk about union with Christ and saying, I'm the head, you're the body. I mean, these are images that I mean you're going to have to use your imagination to really step into what's true of you. And so as we end this morning, just as a way to try to help you do that, I want to read an excerpt from the book, Union with Christ by Rankin Wilburn, which has had a big impact on my life and Adam's life. And that's one of the reasons why we're doing this series. And here's what he says. He actually opens his book in this way. He says this. Imagine your parents are mean and critical. Some of you are like, I don't have to imagine that at all. That's reality. <laughs> um, 
Imagine that your parents are mean and critical, that you have always been a disappointment to them and they to you. But then one day you find a dusty trunk in the attic. You quickly pick the lock and you open the trunk and you discover papers that prove you had in fact been abducted as a baby. Why, these aren't your parents after all. Why, they're criminals. You discover your real mom was a painter at the Sorbonne in Paris and your dad was a Nobel Prize winning scientist and a professional baseball player. And you say to yourself, of course, this explains everything. I am extraordinary. I knew it all along. You also read that they have a fabulously wealthy, or they were fabulously wealthy, and they have a lavish inheritance awaiting for you. Now, it's a fantastic story, but you get the point. Such a discovery would cause you to reinterpret everything about your life. Where you came from, your true identity, your capacities and capabilities, the resources that are now available to you, your future and your destiny. After that day, your life would never be the same. You would come down from that dusty attic with new eyes for everything and everyone. Your whole life would feel new, changed, and invigorated. But here's the thing. It had always been true of you. It was the truth underlying your life even before you discovered it. It was rooted in history, and you had the DNA to prove it. It was true while it was hidden from your sight, but it did not change your life until your eyes were open to it. My hope is that this series will be like opening that trunk for some of you. I pray that as the Apostle Paul prayed for the Ephesians, that the eyes of your heart would be open, that it would be enlightened to see who you really are in Christ. And how if you have placed your faith in him, what is true of Jesus is true of you. You are in him and he is in you. And therefore, listen, the life that you are longing for, you really can now go and live it. As you lay hold of what is already yours, which is your union with Christ. To help us do this every single week, we partake of communion. Which literally, if you break that down, is a common union. That's what it's all about. It's a reminder when we come to either one of these stations in the front or the back as we tear off the bread and we dip it in the juice that we are united to Christ. And that's what even unites us together as a church. And if you're here today and you have opened up your imagination, you believe the truth that Jesus is who he says he is and you are who you say that you are, then come, tear off a piece of bread, dip it in the juice. And remember that you're forgiven, that you're holy, that you're free, that you're accepted, you're loved, you're beautiful. And you have the power that you need, guys. You have the power that you, I don't care what your therapist says. You have the power that you need in Christ to experience in fullness the life that Christ has for you here to be able to experience. It's available to you. And if you're here today and you have not opened your mind to Christ and you have not placed faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, I pray that changes for you today. Guys, listen again. Some of you are religious and you put on a pretty good show. Maybe, I don't know, you come in here. Maybe you even are able to tape some of these green things, these leaves here to your, to your stick. I don't know. I don't know. Is that taking the metaphor too far? Okay. <laughs> That's where some of you are this morning, man. And, and it breaks my heart for some of you because you're just missing out. It literally breaks my heart for some of you. Some of you really are believing lies that you are who the world says you are, who the enemy says you are, who your parents says that you are, and it's all a lie. 
open your mind who Christ says that you are to everything he's done for you. And if you want to know next steps of what it looks like to be grafted into that relationship with him, what it looks like to step out in faith, I'll be up here in the front. Adam will be up here. Uh, We would love to talk to you about next steps. With that in mind, I'm going to ask that you stand with me. As the band comes forward, I want to pray for you. And then I would encourage you guys, hey, um, I think... I think it's important that we remember this. Um, as we come and partake of communion, after that we sing a song together. It's, it's a response time. That's intentional. That's not just like, hey, Luke, we need some more music going here because more people are taking communion. It's a time for us to respond. And so I would encourage you, after you take communion, don't just jet out of here. Your, your kids will be fine. If you trusted them, trusted us with them this long, keep trusting us for the next five minutes, okay? Uh, the lines, it'll be okay. You'll be able to go eat, all that kind of stuff. What I would encourage you to do is, is take your bread and your juice and just go back and just for a moment. You're going to be super busy this week. Just for a moment, let these the lyrics from the song you know, feed your soul and just meditate on the word that's been preached today and allow God to meet you where you are. A lot of that, let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much that this word is true. I confess before my brothers and sisters, I don't always believe it's true. Sometimes I feel crazy for even talking to you. It is so hard, God, for me to to have the faith to believe that I am who you say I am. So many times I feel like such a failure. I carry so much shame and and, and guilt and fear. And I just, I can't help believe that there's people right now in this room that are struggling with that. And we just need to, we don't need to work harder. We don't need to try to mark religious boxes. I pray that people right now will just, will just abide in you. We'll just connect to you, Jesus. Draw us in through your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.